We didn't know this, but when we got here, we realized that some of the research and data obviously point to this gender inequality that we all very familiar of, but also for the culture factor, there is actually much bigger. So the culture factor for East Asians in general is three, four times worse than the gender factor. So in a way, it does kind of make sense now looking back that I felt like I wasn't being a woman. I was very busy being a Chinese because that was just a bigger factor, perhaps. So, so I guess, yeah, that was really coming back to some of the work I was doing was to just provide a voice given, you know, we are the conversation, but we're not part of the conversation. And then really try to complete this narrative somewhat so that people can make much more informed decisions when it comes to the country and its people. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018, in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Lin Yu is a multi-award-winning thought leader, keynote speaker and an original thinker on delivering the intersectionality of diversity, culture and psychology to business. An executive director of Goldman Sachs Asset Management, Lynn is responsible for key relationships in the UK institutional market, with a passion for building client relationships and forging innovative business growth strategies. Lynn was recognised in the Her Rose 100 Women Future Leaders by Yahoo Finance for three consecutive years, was named one of the 50 most inspirational women in the City of London by Brummel, recognised as a top ethnic minority future leader by M Power, and was the winner of the Excellence in Banking Award at the Chinese Business Leaders Awards. Lynn was also made an advocate of the Women in Finance Awards in 2021, as well as being listed as a finalist for the Asian Women of Achievement Awards, part of the Women of the Future programme in the professions category. Please note that the views represented in this podcast are Lynn's own and do not represent those of her company, Goldman Sachs. So I uh, grew up in China and then uh, grew up in mainland China, I should say. So this is really a synonymous story with the economic growth that China had. So I guess, you know, if I can say one thing about our upbringing is every day is better than yesterday. <laughs> every single day was better than yesterday. That was our life experience. Because growing up after the one child policy as well. So that period really was coinciding with the fast economic growth. So coming from nothing to there is a next tall building, there is a skyscraper, there is a road. And then I think, frankly, my first interaction with the West was something I actually remember quite vividly, even now, because I remember it was probably when I was about four 
And then that was the first time I saw this Western TV advert. It was this head and shoulders shampoo advert. So as intrigued as I was to find out what dandruff really was, I think I was just equally amazed by the advancement this commercial represented. Back then, despite my very young age, I just remember that I said to myself, I really want to see more of that. I want to be part of that world. So it was that same curiosity that drove me through education and learning English, which I started at a young age, and then achieving a degree in the UK. So, I mean, looking back, you can almost say that at some level, that little girl's dream have come true. <laughs> I mean, at least I don't have any dandruffs, so it didn't work. <laughs> but I guess I was always very curious about, you know, what the world is, because mm. in the 80s, it was still just coming out of this very isolated country stage. I guess that's what I was saying, that our story was really in line with the bigger picture. I'm a single child after the mm. one child policy. And what does that mean? That uh, our parents, when they were young, like my mom, for example, they were experiencing the cultural revolution. And then my pa uh, grandparents, when they were young, like teenagers, they lived through the Japanese colony. So I guess for us, when I was, I don't know, 15, 16, you know, we were all drinking Starbucks, eating KFC. <laughs> I got to watch a lot of Sex and City at a time. And mm -hmm. that was an extremely different experience than my parents, than my grandparents. So I think as a single child, and then we're just carrying the dreams of them effectively. So yes, we're very pampered, but at the same time, we were just growing up with extremely competitive environment. And then there's such a zero sum mentality in China, everything was driven by success. So really <laughs> the bigger context is economic growth, is a one child policy. And within that, it's a fairly normal upbringing <laughs> for me, I guess, um, where that I've spent most of my time growing up studying, I guess that was what we were supposed to be doing. Um, that we were a generation of people who are entirely not practical because mm -hmm. every minute that you were supposed to not studying, you're distracting yourself from study. Not that I've done much study, but I was happy not to do some of the other stuff. So uh, I guess that was just a little bit background about me. So do you think having your eyes opened to these other cultural influences and like you say, almost like the glossy bright lights of the Western world, did that affect your academic experience? Did that in any way influence what you studied or how you approached your studies or what you wanted longer term? It's really interesting. I think looking back now, it's clear. At the time, obviously, it was not. I think looking back, I felt like this curiosity that I had, it was very much about human minds. And then that was my foundation. And then to see the world is really to see what other humans mm. are doing. And then um, I'm intrigued by this question about what makes us the same, what makes us different. So coming to the West was part of that process to see, oh, you know, these people, they're so different. Why is that different? Mm. And then also that coupled with my travel, where I, at one point I was going to visit a hundred countries, which uh, it, it wasn't far off but it was really just to see why are they different than us actually what are the some of the similarities so I guess that curiosity you know drove me to what I do in a way because mm. um, I'm in a very client-facing business 
And then I love looking at human interactions, decision-making. So it really comes down now looking back into the interest of this hardwire of what we are, right? It's our brain, how it works, the neuroscience of it. So how we feel certain emotions, for example, Mm. but also there's a software on top of that. That is the culture belief, that is the upbringing, that's the societal values, meaning how we interpret certain things to feel certain way. So I guess, you know, that probably is the theme. And uh, looking back, it was so evident, but I only just start to realize that's what that curiosity about. And then that really shaped my study. And I was very interested in what West was about. And then I think my mom, just looking back slightly to um, my upbringing, because she was not having a lot of access growing up because of that period of time. She had a lot of, I guess, aspirations that she just put it on me. <laughs> mm. Thinking like, uh, I'm uh, supposed to have some sort of talent. <laughs> and so, you know, I started playing piano when I was three. And then um, I remember going to many of the, let's say, the first ballet show, you know, the first fashion show. At a very young age, it was the first of this kind of thing in China. And then she would be the person who took me there. So I guess it just cultivated my curiosity to see what's going on there. And then then that's really what makes me to do what I do and then be yeah. interested in what I am. And listening to you talk, it's clear that you're really tuned into the psychological and behavioural reasoning behind why we do things, why other people do things, why your family do things, why you yourself are motivated to do certain things. And you did go on to do an MSc with the University of Oxford in experimental psychology with a focus on behavioural finance, which I'm guessing really helps enable you in the work that you now do with Goldman Sachs and asset management because you've been with them for 11 years is that right yeah correct would you say there's a standout moment or it could be a person potentially that helped mold your interests and set you off on this particular trajectory or is it still harking back to growing up in China and the cultural stimulation you were experiencing um I think there are a number of factors here. Firstly, it's interesting, this contrast, because um, when I mentioned to people here that I did psychology and then work in finance, people would be like, oh, why? You know, that was an interesting transition. Whereas not a single Chinese person have ever asked me that, ever. You know, the assumptions, why not? Everybody wants to work there. So I guess it's very much driven by this kind of uh, success mentality in China that you can make a real difference in your lifetime and everybody was pursuing something like it. So I guess that probably made my transition to finance relatively easy in a way. But also, I guess, as international students, now looking back, home office had a big factor um, for us where we're only allowed to really go for certain roles. And then those are the companies that are international welcoming people around the world to apply for them so that they can have a visa for us. So it did narrow it down to investment banking, consulting, and then uh, (laughs) the big four. So decisions were almost made for us. For me, though, I did wanted to combine this human interaction element into my role. That was a big factor in terms of navigating so many roles within investment banking and then where do I fit in? And then that's where I ended up where I am for the past 11 years. And then just doing this very interesting piece, interacting with clients on behalf of the firm. And you've received various 
recognitions and accolades and awards and I'm speaking to you because you were a finalist in the Asian Women of Achievement Awards which is part of the Women of the Future program but I mean outside of awards potentially across all the work you've done is there any one thing in particular that stands out for you or that you're particularly proud of? It's such a great question because sometimes we are just constantly on the move that we don't look back. But as you know, I'm on maternity <laughs> leave recently, so it's a great time to actually uh, take stock. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I was thinking, you know, about my journey so far. It has been really mixed in terms of the very enriching experience of being from a majority to a minority. So if anything I can point to, it was probably that. And then that was just such a huge element that I didn't know that was what I was facing. And then I guess, you know, it's just daily reality that most of the rooms I walk in that I'm the only Chinese woman. And that has been for 11 years. What does that mean for a person? So it's only recently I start to look back and then see what I was facing. So I do think there are some pivotal moments I would probably point out looking back I guess the first one was probably the first five years within my role because I have been the only Chinese person and then whenever I felt like there is a challenge I thought wow it must be because I came from China that I couldn't do this it's very easy to internalize that way mm. but I guess the learning point for me there is really to see actually the starting point is I'm probably 80 percent 90 percent the same as everyone else and then it does make me slightly different but the mentality of looking for commonalities mm. shifts my perspective than just looking for differences so I would say that was probably the number one mindset shift that I had and then the second one that I realized was very much that it was almost decoding our behavior a little bit that uh, our cultural beliefs are not us so when I for example didn't speak up in meetings you know that's being told by our upbringing our culture that you know we're trying to show respect or we don't talk over each other because that's very rude or we're still thinking because we only say things when answers are perfect. And that, that was how we were raised. Whereas it took me a long time to realize that's what happened in my colleagues' minds was very different. They will probably think I don't have any views or I'm not confident or I have poor communication skills. So all of them are quite damaging for someone who wanted to operate in an environment that is multinational. And then I think that made me realize that this uh, understanding, this behavior, cultivating this self-awareness gives me a sense of control and ownership that I can now define my own style. I don't have to conform to the US way or the Chinese way. I can figure out my mm. own way. So I think that was hugely kind of liberating. So that would be a really pivotal moment for me. Then the last moment is really I realized that we're not the problem. You know, the organizations, they're not set up with everyone in mind. They were set up 100, 200 years ago. So back then it was very different to now. So um, when we walked in, we felt like we don't fit in. That is not us not being fitting in. It was the organizations that were set up with an ideal worker you know that kind of archetype in mind so more you fit in the easier it is for you whereas the more you deviate from that the harder it is so I think it's really important not to internalize that and then free up that worry anxiety to actually do something much more constructive and see what the issue actually is 
So that will probably be three moments now. So um, <laughs> no, there, great. those are really important for me. Yeah, it's fascinating. And also, I know that you've taken the initiative and actually within Goldman Sachs, you have done some big education pieces, what your influences are and all of those kind of things. And that must must have helped, I would guess, in the first instance. But like you were saying, it's quite emancipating for you because you realised through your journey that this is how we approach it. That's how you approach it. And you can you know, level the playing field somewhat by doing that. Absolutely. And then I think really some of the work that I have done was really to provide some access to this topic of China and Chinese. I guess, especially in the context of China, it is such an important topic for most of the CEOs, for example. Mm. But I guess the understanding is probably not where it needs to be. And then at the moment, It seems to me that the narratives are focusing on those two themes. The first one is just very political. It's very much about some of what we think very out of date communism type of images, and then focusing on how that contrasts with the West. And then the second theme of the narratives that's focusing on the economic reality. So in this, you often hear, you know, China built the fastest trains, the tallest buildings, all of that. Which, you know, it's fine, but I think it just only seems to spark more fear towards the, the public because people will be like, who are these people? And, uh, and then I guess what I was trying to do is really to add a human element to it that we are just normal and to kind of demystify and provide a little bit of that access to what it's like to grow up in China. It's not all about politics. It's not all about economic growth. It's actually just as anyone else who is trying to navigate massive, massive changes. And that's all we have experienced. I think the data has pointed out that for the UK, for example, since the 1990s, the speed of change, let's say it's about two, three times based on the GDP per capita data. For China, China, the number was, I think, 29 times. So, and then China is the only country that have gone to double digits. If you think about any other fast growing economies, this is just nowhere near. So I guess, what does that mean in terms of us trying to navigate change? And then that translates into some of my experience at work as well, that things happen a lot faster in China than in the UK. What does it mean for us where everyone was so ambitious and then you know there were surveys pointed out to Chinese women where most of them want to be company CEOs for example and then you got to the UK you're like oh you're not (laughs) uh, but it's also I guess it's not just that we didn't know this but when we got here we realized that some of the research and data obviously point to this gender inequality that we all very familiar of but also for the culture factor there is actually much bigger so the culture factor for East Asians in general is three, four times worse than the gender factor. So in a way, it does kind of make sense now looking back that I felt like I wasn't being a woman. I was very busy being a Chinese because that was just a bigger factor, perhaps. So, so I guess, yeah, that was really coming back to some of the work I was doing was to just provide a voice given you know, we are the conversation, but we're not part of the conversation. And then really try to complete this narrative somewhat so that people can make much more informed decisions when it comes to the country and its people. So interesting. How did you first hear about the Women of the Future program and what inspired you to get involved with it? 
Yeah, that's a really good point. Let me think. I I had a mentor. So he was actually really incredibly helpful over the years to me. So he is a former chairman of Big Four Company. He was connected with the program. And then、uh, he was thinking that coupled with some of the things that I was speaking to him about, just lack of visibility of the East Asians Chinese communities, and then I think it was made worse by the recent COVID. And then、uh, many of us have experienced a lot of aggressions personally. So it was really in line of that conversations. And then he said. Oh, actually, there is a great initiative for you personally, but more so is for the community to perhaps have a presence. Because I think we often find when it comes to diversity, we don't even come to the discussion yet. So in a way, that was really where he made the connection, and then I was just、um, feeling very fortunate that where I am being able to be part of that、uh, great communities, to learn from different women and then、um, so many amazing people, and then I think. If it's anything, I felt like I'm more of just a messenger. That we have a story that perhaps hasn't been told. So in a way, that could just be my role to tell a little bit about the the experience of our generation. And we are the first generation, so、um, nobody else is gonna tell it unless we do something about it. So I guess that really、um, comes together with being part of the community and then being very excited about it. Right, I have some quick fire questions just to finish. So here we go.、Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> Not sure, <What> ? but yes. <laughs> <laughs> What would you describe as your greatest success? Navigating the difficulties recent years from family, from having children, from work, from relationship, it has been super tough. So I'm glad that I came out the other way. Realizing it's not just,、um, let's say, the tr- post-traumatic distress is <laughs> actually post-traumatic growth. So oh, I like、uh, that. I like that. I might <laughs> so use that. <laughs> I was so、uh, glad to to know that it actually exists. And your greatest failure? Ah,、oh, wow.、Um, I'm not sure. I wondered if it's also the along the same lines that. Because we are here in the UK, and then our family are in China, that that would be just something that I couldn't reconcile in terms of how to bring it all together, and、uh, and then I think that is just such a challenge for us of our generation being the single child as well. So it does feel like a failure from that point of view that a big part of my life is missing、uh, from time to time.、Mm-hmm. But recently, being more acute given COVID, that we couldn't go back at all, I felt like that is something that is going to be, you know, a major part in my life. That I look back and then keep questioning: Am I doing the right thing? Am I not? Who knows? Nobody knows. I guess. But、um, but that would probably be my biggest thing. The mantra of Woman of the Future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? This is so important. If I can be 
a psychologist for one moment. <laughs> and, <Go> for uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I have been um, just looking at all the kind of neuroscience behind it. And it looks as if when you are trying to be kind, it activates a very different neural pathway. And then that pathway is to approach as opposed to avoid. And then when we avoid things, that's where we come out with fear. That's where we are anxious. Whereas the kindness and then trigger entirely different feelings that actually makes you feel much more creative and then much more productive. So I think, you know, what kindness isn't is it's not soft. It's not lack of assertiveness or confidence, but it's actually a way to enable you to have more mental clarity and then because you're less stressed effectively so I think that anything is actually good for yourself to be kind to others but the other thing I think is also not to forget being kind to ourselves because that's probably the hardest thing and then if we were able to cultivate that kindness towards others then we can actually extend that to other people and that would be hugely helpful at work you know which we can assume positive intent from our colleagues for example that in most cases everyone is just trying to do the best they can and then also just seeing the bigger picture that often or not a lot of the conflicts that we see at work how much of that was caused by us but how much of that was actually caused by say lack of boundaries at work lack of rules at work and then we were left to resolve something that is much bigger than us because in essence a lot of the times it's probably just people who care very much about work who are struggling because of the lack of boundaries so I wondered if we could be you know thinking with more clarity about all those different factors and then that can free us from being anxious being angry and then really being kindness should be a superpower in business because it enables us to access so many good things, the cognitive abilities that we're paid for effectively to perform at work. Kindness is definitely a superpower, I agree. Is there anything that scares you? I I sometimes get worried that things don't change. And, uh, and then I mentioned that the system is not set up for us in the first place. And then I found it amazing that, say, senior women are still spending three, four times more time than the senior men to work on, say, diversity. Mm. Why is this? I think it's great, by the way, that we have allyship, for example. But I'm amazed at why that is an option, because by inaction, it speaks volumes. It means that you are endorsing the prejudice that's that are happening at work so so I think this inaction sometimes worries me that for our children's generation are they going to have the same challenge and it's so easy that a decade has passed since I have worked that um, you know on surface that I'm still the only that person so I felt like for the next decade I really would encourage people to to do more of that and then have some more proactive changes it's just part of what we do it's not in addition to business you know being kind having this diverse mindset it is what makes business great in the first place and then uh, then we embrace that and then drive the changes so I don't get scared you know in another 10 years looking back and so little has happened and what is left on your to-do list (laughs) I'm guessing it's quite long (laughs) it is quite long it is quite long 
but I um, I think it's also perhaps much more realistic that maybe when we were in China, we were all like, oh, I want to be company CEOs. Mm. It's no longer like that anymore, thankfully. And it's no longer just a version of uh, pursuing success or living our parents' dreams. I guess it's much more about finding a sense of purpose, finding a mission, and then being more holistic in terms of not having Chinese me, um, and then uh, a English version of me, or not having a parent version of me, a work version of me, just show up more integrated <laughs> as me. <laughs> so I guess it's along those lines that just, just to continue this pursuit i guess in understanding human minds in business work culture but also in parenting in our personal <laughs> relationships and then uh, you know our lives so i guess um it's a lot less externally driven it's much more internally driven which i think it's probably to me much healthier and then much more fulfilling so bring everything together from health to family to life to work and then go from there it's lovely to hear how emancipated you feel generally as well and that you're working towards this overall purpose lynn thank you so much for your time today it's been really really fascinating speaking to you and thank you for sharing all of that with us you've been brilliant Thank you so much for having me. It has been great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon. Bye.